do 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 Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Cha. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant, and I know a lot about precisely how much it's going to cost to repair the leaking roof on our house. But I do not know a lot about the Great Lakes, and that's the point of this here show. I'm joined, as always, by Illinois Indiana Sea Grant's research coordinator, Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, what's up? Not much, Stuart. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. I'm actually really excited about today's episode uh, for a few reasons. First of all, because I do have a leaky roof, and I think that it's always good to talk to a weather forecaster when you have a leaky roof. Uh, but <laughs> That's a very great use of their time. Yeah, I think it's a real solid use of their time. But second of all, uh, you know, as... Uh, the whole point of the show is that I grew up in the Gulf South and, and just moved here. And and so the weather here, uh, in addition to being just terrible, uh, is also something that's Incorrect. really interesting to me. Incorrect. <laughs> that's, it is not terrible. There are some wonderful, wonderful things about the weather in the Great Lakes region. However, continue. No, no, that's true. Since I moved here, I've experienced multiple days of, of totally decent weather. So I, I actually agree with you. The summers here are just fantastic. Uh, and the winters here are also days of the year. Uh, but anyway, so it's today we are going to interview Tom Coombs, who's the chief meteorologist at ABC 57 News in South Bend, Indiana. And my gut feeling is, is that this is the first of several interviews we're going to do with meteorologists, because what I've learned is once you start talking about the weather, it's hard to get people to stop. That's because the weather is just extraordinarily interesting and all of us experience it every single you know, day. No, I think you're right. When I grew up, uh, my dad, actually, we would watch three different weather forecasts in New Orleans. He knew where they were timed. Uh, you know, so the first one would come on at, you know, six after the hour. The second one would come on at, you know, 11 after the hour and third at 17 after the hour on three different channels. And if we didn't get those, you know, he would be out cooking or whatever. And if we didn't call him when the weather came on, he would be extraordinarily irate. And so, uh, this, all, this makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> might also explain why I just sort of glance at the weather when I get up and make sure that it's not actively raining or snowing and, and get on with my day. Before we get to today's interview, we have a little bit of uh, housekeeping to take care of, so let's just bang that out right now. First of all, don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all of those things this podcast. It helps other people find us, which we think is important because I think there are a lot of people that need to learn about the Great Lakes. So if you have a second, please take a second to go to your podcast app or directory or whatever and, and uh, take a minute to give us a review. If you're listening to this in your browser, why not subscribe? It's a great subscription. Uh, free and informative, like all the best subscriptions are. And uh, if you have a friend, please pass this show on to a friend. And then uh, second bit of housekeeping, number two, is we have a website, brand new website, actually. It is www.teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com, and that should be active by the time you hear this. So go to www.teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com to check us out. If you want to see the show notes for today's show, which will have all sorts of interesting links, and uh, what have you, just go to www.teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash four, because this is episode number four. And with that, Carolyn, let's uh, go ahead and bring on Tom. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing very well. The sun is shining, which if you're in Lake Effect country, you know how rare that actually is. Yes, it is beautiful out, actually. I rode my bike in this morning, and it was cool, but but it was nice. I'll take it. 
you're a chief meteorologist with ABC 57 News in South Bend, right? I am. So what does a chief meteorologist do exactly? I'm having, trying to figure out what it is you do day to day, and I think that's probably interesting in and of itself. It's a lot more than you think. Most people think that we just show up you know, for about 15 minutes and then we go home. But uh, my day actually has started just today. We had some toll road safety training. So I'm in here already at noon. Then I've got, of course, this podcast. Then I've got to go over some um, inter-office graphical stuff, some scheduling, planning out our whole newscast for a full day. So on average, usually my days are usually 9 to 10 hours anyway. And that's because we actually forecast, or at least I do, I actually forecast the weather uh, to do my analysis, come up with a forecast, and then I have to present it multiple, multiple times in multiple different ways from radio to newspaper, web, and then just doing the old-fashioned TV newscast, which some people still watch and some people don't. So we have to figure out ways to reach them uh, in any medium possible, be it social media, um, you know, even doing podcasts like this is a way to help inform and educate people about the weather and being better weather prepared. So I've been incredibly impressed by how many meteorologists are on Twitter. And when something's happening, they're all tweeting it. And I think, oh, my gosh, these people never sleep. So thank you very much. It's a small world. I, I, you know, I think we kind of feed into ourselves because we might be the only other people actually reading our tweets. But uh but yeah, when things are exciting, you know, we love to share the science and, you know, I think we get to express ourselves more than on television, which sometimes is just, is it going to rain today? Yes or no? What's the high? What's the low? You know, we can really start getting wonky, I think, on Twitter. It's pretty cool. Well, let's go ahead and get wonky then. So this has been a pretty warm winter so far. Is that, uh, what causes that? Is that predictable? Were you planning for that to happen or is it hard to predict? What, what's, what's the deal with that? The long answer is that, you know, we have those seasonal outlooks you often will see. Even here on TV, we give a forecast in November, which I will say is pretty good for myself. I said that there was no sign of a significantly cold or harsh winter compared to last year when it reached negative 20 compared to uh, earlier years of the past decade where we've seen more than 100 inches of snow here in South Bend. Um, this is one of the least snowy and warmest winters on record. Uh, there's a couple things that we look at what drives winter weather. You've probably heard of uh, the Nino, El Nino, um, <laughs> right. or La Nina. Um, those are two big things because people think, you know, for here, um, El Nino usually means milder winters, drier winters. And La Nina usually means wetter, which often means snowier and colder winters. Um, but that's not the only thing. We focus on that so much because these climate drivers, when they are very strong, when we have a very strong El Nino or La Nina, it takes over the weather pattern and it pretty much influences the entire season. But often it's not very strong. And so then you have these smaller influences like the uh, Arctic Oscillation, which then influences the polar vortex, which got going around very popular in TV, even though it uh, is a real thing that happens every year, but how that interacts. And this season has been very, very mild. And one of the biggest things that we've talked about is the lack of the polar vortex being weak. It's actually stayed very strong. So when the polar vortex is strong, it's a strong circulation across the top of the world. That cold air is locked over the uh, Arctic Circle. So the cold air doesn't fall southward. Now, if it gets weak and wobbly, kind of like a top 
when uh, it starts to lose its momentum. So polar vortex gets weak, that top starts to wobble. That wobble is when you start to get those big Arctic intrusions that spill into some places. And we just have not had that this season. So we have not had big spills of cold air. We've not had a lot of snowfall because of it. And it's been a mild winter. And then finally, the thing that uh, some people don't think about that I kind of take into my forecast is climate change. The climate is just getting warmer. So if you're spending more days above 32, guess what? You're going to have less snowfall. So there's a lot to unpack there, uh, Tom, that's pretty interesting. Let's start with the polar vortex. I hear a lot about that, but usually in the context of like when it's going to be a, a frigid winter, right? A really cold winter. Right. Everybody starts saying polar vortex, polar vortex. But so what I'm hearing from you is what that actually means is there's a weak polar vortex that year and it causes cold air to be sort of spit into our area by, by it. Is that fair to say? That is correct. You know, it's and it could be the both in a given year. The polar vortex can be strong or it can be weak. It can also be off-center. So think about this. If it is right over the top of the Earth, which it is actually right now fairly well centered over the geographic North Pole, the cold air is evenly distributed in a nice circle across the top of the world. But when it gets lopsided or when it weakens, that's when it can spill into the lower latitudes and that's when we get those really cold Arctic outbreaks. Got it. So what happened in 2019? Was it lopsided or was it wobbly or? Um, From what I can remember is it was definitely very wobbly. Sometimes instead of just having a nice conformed, nice circle – Instead of just being lopsided, it had multiple lobes that would spill in different directions. And one of those, I mean, big time, dropped into our part of the country, into the eastern United States. And then there are some times where it can be lopsided, where I believe that was back to 2014, 2015. It was was a very big snow year where we almost had snow every day in February and the temperature never broke freezing. It was lopsided and tilted towards our side of the earth. So Eastern North America, incredibly cold. Eurasia, incredibly warm because the other side was mild. Think of that top leaning towards one side of the earth. It's almost like it's the same amount of air just distributed differently across the globe. I'm pretty sure that was 2014, the year I left Indiana for uh, Texas. Coincidentally, (laughs) you fled. fled. In my head, I'm imagining like a a hot fudge sundae kind of like all over. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's a it's a cold fudge yeah. Sunday. <laughs> and that's why I go with the, the, the top connotation because it is spinning. And think about when a top starts to finish up towards its last momentum. It really gets wobbly and then it just flops in one direction. Sure. Let's talk about this idea of snow. Of You hear a lot about lake effect snow and I don't know exactly what it is. I mean it's something to do with lake having an effect creating snow. But that's kind of yep. what I got. What exactly is lake effect snow and why does it affect some uh, lake places and not others? Lake effect snow is magical uh, or so I say it because it makes my job important, uh, especially living here. I grew up here in South Bend, so I've only known lake effect snow. It kind of feels sad without winter without lake effect snow. Uh, lake effect snow is really convection. So it's a almost like thunderstorm phenomena in winter. You have cold air usually very cold Arctic air, moving over a relatively warmer body of water. Um, What we're looking for is, we'll call it a delta T, the difference in temperature. Sure. We really want to see that difference in temperature between the air and the lake 
greater than 10 to 15 degrees. So if the water temperature is around 35, you get air that's 25, 20, 15 degrees moving over Lake Michigan, you're getting ready for a good dose of lake effect snow. What happens is just like in a summer day with a thunderstorm, but we're just in a different relative temperature range, is you have the evaporation off the lake. That's the fuel and the heat going right up into the atmosphere. And usually we see snow from system snow in some sort of stratiform, you know, big blankety gray cloud. Uh, lake effect snow clouds are more like thunderstorms in some huh. ways. It's low-level convection. They're going to be puffier. Uh, they're cumulus-based clouds. And they can really bring some heavy snowfall because you're just loading almost a thunderstorm. But in this case, it's heavy snow. Essentially, what you're talking about then is is the the temperature gradient kind of pulls a bunch of moisture up into the air where it then is so cold in the air, the atmosphere, that it turns into snow. Is that a close understanding? Yeah, pretty much. You're, you know, you have that evaporation. So we are fueling with the heat. Think of it just like you'll you'll sometimes see this on open water on a very cold day, right? Uh, that evaporative fog that's going up there. So think about that moisture loading up into the cloud. We also have the heat there, so we're building a good cloud base. So we have good dynamics. We're loading a cloud, and then it pretty much takes all that moisture that has been loaded up over the lake, and almost immediately dumps it back down over the land in the shadow of the lake. So the areas that are most susceptible to that are on the leeward side of the lake. The prevailing wind direction in most cases is west to east or northwest to southeast. So the western shores are the western part of Michigan, uh, the western part of New York State, sure. uh, the western part of Pennsylvania, um, even into uh, northeastern Ohio, um, big, big lake effect countries. But, you know, lake effect can be any shore of the lake, it just depends on the wind direction. And that's what you're really forecasting here with lake effect is the wind. You know, we can look at computer models, but we're really looking at the wind forecast and we're looking for something called the fetch. Okay. A long fetch is the real wonky weather term <laughs> and it's the length of the wind over that open water. Gotcha. And so when we look for that long fetch setup, we're looking for a very consistent wind direction, likely out of the northwest or north. For the longest period of time. And so if you have 24 hours of just a very consistent wind flow, which is kind of rare to have, you're probably going to have a very big lake effect event in one area because that band will set up and it will just dump snow until the wind changes. Makes sense. Okay, I know you're a busy man. We have one question from Hope Charters, our communication coordinator, that I have to ask because she made me. Uh, have you ever had any uh, good green screen mess up stories that maybe you can share with us? I wish I did. I just really professional, don't. Huh? <laughs> I, and maybe, maybe I'm just somebody who just lets that stuff go. Right. Um, I don't have a. Maybe the biggest is you know when you move to a different area or different part of the country as a meteorologist, you need to know how people pronounce things. Oh yeah. So when I, my first job, I moved to Western Colorado. So I, I learned mountain snowfall as well. We can do a whole different thing on that, but that has nothing to do with the Great Lakes. Um, but there was a town. Let's see how it was spelled. O-L-A-T-H-E. How would you pronounce that? Olathe? I thought it was Olaf. Olaf? But it was Olatha. Olatha. That was my eighth guess. Yeah. And I got a lot of calls. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. 
Oh, my you know, dad. But, uh, Olathe sweet corn, apparently it's very, big time famous in the mm-hmm. West. It's really tasty. It's good. But it's uh, it's Olathe. Yeah. <laughs> my dad uh, it lives in New Orleans, and he watches three or four weather forecasts a night. And all the younger generation are still learning the names, and he complains Ooh. to me about that a lot because there's a lot of screwy names in Louisiana. I would not want to work there because yeah. I do not know French very well. <laughs> and so even looking at French terms, it's kind of like – I mean, think yeah, it's about not that helpful. Lafayette. You look at that. I mean, is that how you think that would be pronounced when looking at that? Yeah. Or if you spoke French, that's actually not how you right. pronounce it. All right. Well, we'd like to wrap up with two questions for each of our interviewers, interviewees. The first one is this. If you could have a really great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would it be? Mm, I would definitely have a sandwich. And then the follow-up question is, when I'm in South Bend, where do I go for a really great sandwich? This is actually Ooh. really why I'm asking. Where do I go? Usually my house. I make a pretty good sandwich. I mean, I make a, <laughs> I make a really good BLT. I, uh, I grow my own tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, I, have a, I lay this all out. Actually, I know a good place. Uh, it's uh, Old Mama's on the Avenue. It's near the South Bend Farmer's Market. They will do their own like Italian meats, their cheeses, a top and out. It's, it's, it's a very good sandwich. Great. That's definitely what we'll do. And then we'll uh, go to your house for dinner for BLTs and great. just have a great time. We'd like to ask our guests for one little bit of life advice for the listeners out there. It could be serious or silly, you know, related to the mm-hmm. Great Lakes and weather or not, uh, you know, anything along there. What's one piece of life advice that, that you have? These are like the toughest questions. Yeah, yeah. Weather's easy compared to the sandwiches, right? Yeah. I'm always prepared for the weather. I think this is what I even tell kids when I, get, when I do my school visits, and it seems kind of silly, but I really do think that and, – and I think – it's best coming from a forecaster, especially, is learn from your mistakes. And I'm not talking about big mistakes. As a forecaster, every day I learn from what you might consider a mistake. I forecast 35 and it was 36. Why did that happen? I look at that every single day. Now, I think me getting within one degree is pretty good. But even when it comes to lake effect snow forecasting, which is tough, why did it snow six more inches just west of here instead of over this location? I look at that every time because that next circumstance is going to happen again. So whatever you do, whatever trade you do, you're never going to do anything, I think, perfectly. There may be a couple times where you just get it absolutely right, but you probably get it good enough. So knowing you know, the amount of precision and accuracy – that you need to do to perform a job, how can you do that consistently? And can you learn from those times that maybe you didn't quite get it exactly right, but the next time you do it, you're like, oh, I remember that. I remember what happened. That I'm not going to do that because I'm going to rely on my experience to have a better outcome next time. Yeah, that's something – that's interesting. That is something that I talk with my kids about now that you mentioned it. It's like it's good to make mistakes. You learn so much more from your mistakes. And I, maybe the bad part is that we call them mistakes because it has a bad connotation, but it's just not the outcome sometimes you didn't want to happen. So how do you put this into your favorite? You know, you get this from playing board games or playing card games. Well, why did I lose? Well, if you think back to three plays earlier, if I would have done this, this, and this, I probably could have won. It's, you know, is that a mistake? Maybe, but you learn. Yep. Well, fortunately for me, I'm very good at making mistakes. So. That's good. Lots you learn learning. a lot. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, Tom, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Are you on Twitter or Facebook? What's the Twitter is the it? best way in the weather world to really get probably a, a good response from me. At Tom Coombs, T-O-M-C-O-O-M-E-S. I'm on Twitter. Find me there. It's probably the best resource to go back and forth. And if we really want to get talking, we can find a way to talk even more from there. Well, Tom Coons, Chief Meteorologist for ABC 57 News in South Bend, thank you so much for teaching us about the Great Lakes. It was a pleasure. You know, Carolyn, the weather really is, I'll admit, a little bit mildly interesting. It's super interesting. What are you talking about? And yeah, I mean, learned all sorts of cool stuff today. Yeah, I have a feeling that you and he could have sat there and just nerded out on weather for a bit longer than than uh, maybe I could have. Potentially, yes. Yeah, I think it's part of Canada because so you're from <laughs> Canada, right? I was waiting for the token Canada moment. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's token. I think it. I think it deeply describes what's happening because at any minute in Canada, no matter. I mean, tell me if this is right. No matter the time of year, you could get covered in feet of snow. Like walking home from the grocery store, if you're not careful, boom, buried. I don't know if that's accurate, but you know, sure. No, I, I, I'm. Yeah, that's just how it works in Canada. I happen to know because I've looked it up on the internet. So, Carolyn, what is something that you learned today about the Great Lakes? So, something I thought was really cool was the idea that the years that people in the Midwest or the Great Lakes region experience a polar vortex, it actually means that that's a weak polar vortex year, and it's sort of slipping and sliding down around. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too. I just always assumed when a polar vortex is bad or strong, then we're getting our butt kicked down here. But, yeah, I thought that was good. And I, I, I appreciated your hot fudge analogy. I thought it was rock solid. Uh, thank you. I tried. Yeah. And I learned, uh, well, I learned a couple of things. I learned, one, that it, well, although you cannot eat, you can drink the yellow snow, it turns out. And apparently it's tasty. And I also learned uh, about Lake Effect snow, which I didn't know. I thought all the snow we got was Lake Effect, but it turns out it's just uh, this phenomenon that happens when the warm air over the lake gets sucked up with the cold air in the atmosphere and uh, produces snow. So I thought that was pretty cool. Incidentally, it's really, really cool to look at images. Like there was a loop the other day from Lake Superior, another great lake, um, where there's just streams all across the lake. I'll try to find the link so we can put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll put that in the show notes again at www.teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash four, because this is episode four. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this month. Uh, please like and subscribe. Tell all your friends about us. And a couple of uh, acknowledgments this month. I'd like to thank Melissa Woodhelm for helping us hook up with Tom. And I'd also like to thank uh, Stephen Schaefer, who is a listener and has presented us with a whole bunch of interesting ideas for things that you might want to learn about. And this was one of them. So this uh, was semi-inspired by, by uh, Stephen's email. We appreciate that. If you have email or questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can, the best way to do it is probably go to Twitter, uh, at H at, uh, twitter.com slash what the hell are we, uh, <laughs> to reach out on Twitter via teach great lakes at teach great lakes is the podcast. Uh, and you can also look at the Sea Grant main Twitter feed, which is I L I N C grant. And since we're talking about weather, we have a really great feed for our buoys. Actually. Uh, I don't know, uh, how the buoys tweet per se, but they find a way to do it while they're also out there monitoring data. So I encourage you to go look at that at, uh, what is it? Two yellow buoys on Twitter. And I think that'll do it for uh, this month. Carolyn, thank you. And we'll talk to you as always next month. Certainly. Talk to you later, Stuart.
I, I even looked up my untapped ratings as far as... Whoa, you have untapped ratings? <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, well, what is my favorite weather? I don't know. I don't really know off the top of my head. I may have heard of something, but I was like, I went into my data. I'm a data scientist, sure. so I went right into my okay. data. All right. Well, let's hear it then. What is your favorite um, weather-related? My beer? top one was actually Yellow Snow IPA from Rogue. Oh, now wait a minute. I was told not to drink that. It wasn't bad. Oh, no, no, no. You shouldn't, you shouldn't eat, eat the eat Yellow it, Snow, it. but right, the Yellow right. Snow IPA was pretty Drinking. good. Drinking it, though, that's fine. Now, I went to the uh, Rogue Brew Pub in uh, Astoria, Oregon, and I don't think they had that there. So I'll have to check it out next time I see it. I think it's a seasonal. Oh, I love your buoys. Trust yep. me. <laughs> um, we, we bring into our weather system. Um, you can bring them in because it's all part of the NOAA feed. So. Right. Did you get it through like the NDBC website? Is that how you guys pull it? Or So our vendor pulls it. it I believe that's where it comes in. I mean, it comes in one of those streams, but yes, I would I would say it's probably through that because I'm looking mostly at just the uh, temperature data, wave height, wind, um, and water temp. Okay. Is there – okay, Stuart's going to kill me, but is there anything else that you really want on it or do you have pretty much all the sensors that you need? I mean, for me, that's good enough. I mean, I'd love to have them in the water a little bit later, but <laughs> I know that's not always possible either because it's – you know, really interesting we get into lake effect season. I know they start getting pulled November 1st because you never know. Right. But, <laughs> you know, things are kind of staying warmer longer. So it's kind of interesting to kind of have that mark. I, you know, I think the biggest thing may be an easier way to compare year to year um, lake temperatures. Okay. Because as the lake gets warmer, there's a lot of implications, even summer with fisheries and stuff like that. It's like, whoa, this is the warmest the lake has been at the buoy, you know, ever in July 1st or November 1st when it gets pulled. But that gets tough because the poll dates, you have to go back. To, usually it's probably like October 25th is probably the most last date that you're probably going to have in a full data set. Right, right, right. 